You're listening to the New Hope Church Podcast. To learn more about what we're doing on the south side of Indianapolis, you can check us out online at becomehope.com. If you like what you're hearing here, be sure you check out one of our companion podcasts. We have a daily devotional podcast called Let's Find Out Together, as well as an apologetics podcast called Salty Saints. Let's listen in. Today's talk comes from Zach Killy. My name's Zach. I'm a pastor here at New Hope. And uh, we're still working through 1 John. We've been talking about 1 John for quite a while now. This is actually our second series on 1 John because we like 1 John. Um, but this is, uh, this is an interesting passage we're talking through today. So we're going to get right into it. Uh, we're going to start with 1 John 5, 1 through 5. It says this. It says, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So, that is pretty much everything we've been saying for the last four or five weeks, whatever. Like, this is a lot of summary here. He's just kind of reiterating the truth of the matter. He's saying, you know, if you're in Christ, if you're a child of God, then you will love the children of God. If you are truly uh, saved, if you are truly a member of God's family, if you believe in Jesus, then you'll love the children of God. And what does that look like? How do we know if we love the children of God? We'll obey his commandments. He's giving you a way to know that you have salvation. He's giving you assurance. He's giving you a test, right? Say, am I really living this out or am I not, right? Um, and so that's, that's pretty straightforward. We've done that. We've talked about that. And now we're moving on. We're done with that. We're getting on to a much weirder portion of this verse and something I think needs hashed out. Uh, if we go to 1 John 5, 6 through 8, it says this. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And the three are in agreement. Now, if you are reading along with me, um, or you've read this verse before, you may be thinking, hey, my version doesn't read like that. And you would be right. There are lots of translations of this verse that are going to be different than what I just read. That's the NIV. That's how it reads out of the NIV. But what if we go to, say, like the King James Version? And I'm going to pick on the King James Version because everybody that reads the King James Version thinks that King James is the best and it never makes any mistakes. And I'm here to tell you, it does make mistakes. Um, here is what the King James Version says. For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. And there are three that bear witness in earth, the Spirit, and the water, and the blood. And these three agree in one. Why is that different? Why is that different? Why does that add a whole chunk? It says... In heaven, there are three that testify, and that's the Holy Ghost, the Father, and the Word. 
And that's Jesus. Jesus is the word. And then it goes on and it says, and on earth, then you've got the blood and the water and the spirit, right? Why? Why is that added? Okay, that's not in the original manuscript for this verse. It's not there. It's not in this passage. It got added around the 14th century by the Roman Catholic Church. Okay, now reason being is they were probably trying to solidify the argument for the Holy Trinity. And so this looked like a good place to stick it. And they did. They put it here. But it's not supposed to be there. It does not belong in this passage contextually. In fact, I think it kind of confuses it a little bit. And so we're going to move it out of the way, and we're going to go with what it actually originally said. Now, here's the deal. Some of you may be sitting there thinking, well, wait a minute. Does this mean that the whole Bible falls apart and Christianity is a lie because something in the Bible's not supposed to be there? No. It's fine. It's cool. Chill. We're good. Um, we leave it there. Some translations leave it there, and they'll make a little footnote at the bottom, and they'll say, hey, this wasn't in the original manuscript, but it's still true. The, the Holy Spirit testifies to Jesus. The Father testifies to Jesus. Jesus' life testifies to Jesus. We see this elsewhere in Scripture. When Jesus gets baptized, he goes down into the water, and the Holy Spirit descends like a dove and rests on him. And then the Father's voice is heard in heaven saying, this is my Son with whom I am well pleased. And so... We see in that moment that this is true. This is right. There's nothing unbiblical about this. It's just that it doesn't belong there. It doesn't belong in that spot contextually. And context matters. So we're going to kick it out of the way and we're going to keep moving. So what does that leave us with? Well, it leaves us with the water, the blood, and the spirit. Okay. Why those three things? Why are we talking about the water, the blood, and the spirit testifying, witnessing, for, for Christ. Well, I think it makes sense contextually, right? So if we think about what this means, some people go a different route than what I'm about to go. Some people would say water and blood, that must be Jesus's baptism and the crucifixion of Jesus, right? Makes sense. I get why they would go there, but I don't think it's right. It doesn't make sense contextually. What is 1 John about? Do you guys remember two weeks ago when we were talking about John dealing with these false Jesuses, with these versions of Jesus that aren't Jesus? People are saying things about Jesus that aren't true. He's dealing with a, a, um, a prototype Gnosticism, right? Gnosticism is the eventual belief. It didn't exist yet, but it's kind of the beginnings of it happening here that we're seeing in John. Gnosticism is the idea that the spirit is holy and good and clean. And so God must never become flesh because the flesh is wicked and sinful and gross. And God would never stoop to that level. God would never become flesh because that would be unholy and unclean. And so the Gnostics are trying to make the argument that Jesus never really was born into existence. He just faked it. And Jesus never really walked among people in an actual physical body. He just appeared to have a physical body. And that Jesus never actually was crucified on the cross, that he never actually died, that he just feigned death. He faked it. It was all just a sham. And John is hearing this and he's saying, that's not true. You can't just change Jesus. And so I don't think that talking about the baptism of Christ and the crucifixion of Christ makes sense for the context here. 
Maybe the crucifixion, but not the baptism. Because John's trying to prove the point that Jesus Christ was a flesh and blood human being. That's his whole motive here. And so I want to ask you a question. How many moms do I have in the room? Yeah? Okay. It's going to get gross for a second, and I'm sorry, but we have to do this. So when you went into labor, what happened? Come on. The water broke. The amniotic fluid comes out, right? Now it's mostly water. That's why we say the water broke, right? Linda, stop laughing at me. The water broke, right? Okay. And then when you had your baby, was there blood? Yes, there was, right? And so a child is born into this world through water and blood. Water and blood. And I think that's what John is saying. That Jesus Christ was born into this world through water and blood. He had the same messy, nasty birth that every single one of us has. He came into this world just like every other human being that has ever lived. He was born a physical human baby. That is what John is saying with that. But that's not all John's saying with that. Because see, the Jewish listener here is going to have a very different thought in their head. Their mind is immediately going to go, tabernacle. You see, when the Jews made sacrifices and Jewish culture centered around sacrifices, that's how you made sure you were good with God. They would go to the priest. They would bring their sacrifice. The priest would walk in to the tabernacle and there was this thing, this laven, uh, laver uh, brass basin full of water and he would wash his hands and he would cleanse himself with the water and then he would kill the animal. He would make the sacrifice and the blood would pour out and that was to atone for the Jewish person or their family that brought this sacrifice, right? And then he would wash his hands and he would cleanse himself in the basin. And so the Jewish person hears water and blood and they're like, that's the tabernacle. That's, that's what we've, we, we built a society around that, around the sacrifice and around the cleansing. And I don't think that's all he's saying. I think he goes on to say this in John 19.34. It says, instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. When you're close to death, it's not uncommon that fluid will build up around your heart and around your lungs. And so what this, Romans, what this Roman soldier is doing is he's, he's reaching up under Jesus' ribcage with a spear and he's poking near his heart and that fluid buildup empties out. And so out of Jesus comes blood and water. And he did it to see if he was dead and if he wasn't dead, he was now. So John is saying, Jesus lived and died a human existence, a true, physical, bloody human existence. What about the spirit, though? That's blood and water. We covered that. What about the spirit? Everything Jesus did was through the spirit. Jesus makes the claim, Nothing I do, I do of myself, but I do everything that I do because the Father has taught me, because the Father has shown me. When we read scripture, what does it say over and over again? Live by the Spirit. Follow the Spirit. Let the Spirit lead you. That God will lead you in paths of righteousness. That the Spirit empowers us to do what is right. 
Jesus did everything in his life according to the Spirit. And so I think John is saying, have you seen his life? It's supernatural. He's the only person that never did anything wrong because everything he did was by the Spirit. His life is marked by this existence in the Spirit. And not only that, John's saying, and then after he died on that cross, he was raised three days later to life by the Holy Spirit. He's saying, yeah, he's human. He was human. He lived a completely human existence. He was born and he lived and he died. But that whole life was reigned by the Holy Spirit. He followed it in everything he did and he rose and there was something supernatural about all of that. That was, that was more than human. And so he's testifying to the divinity and the humanity of Christ. He's saying it's both. It's not just one or the other. Do away with your Gnosticism. This is both. This is reality. This is the real Christ. John is saying Jesus Christ was born into this world through blood and water. And he lived a perfect life through supernatural means of the Holy Spirit. And he died on a cross. And when he died on that cross and they poked under his ribs near his heart, that blood and that water that poured out, that was the cleansing atonement for you and me. That washed away our sins. That pardoned us. That made us whole. That made us new. And then when he died, he was raised three days later from the grave. That is the testimony of the water and the blood and the spirit. That's what John is saying. So why is he saying this? Why does this even matter? Why water, blood, and spirit? Why bring this up? Why do you need three testimonies? Why do you need that? Well, in the Old Testament, when God sets up his law for the Jews, for for a trial to be legitimate, for something to be testified in truth, you needed two to three eyewitnesses for what happened. And so God is setting up a legal case for the humanity and divinity of Jesus Christ. God is setting up something palatable, something physical, something that people saw, right? That actually happened in real time and space. And he's saying, I'm giving you a human testimony. I'm giving you something you can measure by so you know this is true. And that's what he's providing us with. And so John goes on to say this. In 5, 9 through 12, he says, we accept human testimony. But God's testimony is greater because it's the testimony of God, which he's given about his son. Whoever believes in the son of God accepts this testimony. Whoever does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because they have not believed the testimony God has given about his son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son does not have life. And so John is saying, yeah, We've got a human testimony that God himself laid this out in physical time and space, right? That that Jesus would come and he'd be born into the world and then he would live this life and it'd be perfect. It'd be untouchable. Everyone is clearly going to see that there's something different about him. And then he's going to die on the cross and his blood's going to atone for all humanity. And he's going to die and he's going to raise from the grave three days later. 
supernaturally. And people are going to see that. 500 people. We know that there are 500 eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Christ. And those people go on and they lay their lives on the line to speak this truth, right? That's what happens after the fact. They become martyrs, most of them. Tons of martyrs through the history of the church. And that lays the foundation for the church. So much so that Rome, the most pagan nation on earth with a pantheon of gods, sets that all aside and takes up Christianity as its main religion and then pushes that forward to the rest of the world, making Christianity the biggest religion in the world. All because of one man's life and a bunch of people that saw it. And so John's saying, yeah, you've got the testimony of history. You've got the testimony of his life. You've got the water, the blood, and the spirit testifying on behalf of Christ on a human testimony. But there's a greater testimony, and that's the testimony of God. And so the question is, what does all that mean that we just read? What is God's testimony? It's the person that knows Jesus Christ. It's the person that hears all that and goes, you did all that? You did all that? You, you, you lived a perfect life and you rose from the grave? Can you do that for me? Can you change my heart? Can you get rid of all the, the dark, bitter, nasty parts of me? Can you, can you take over my life and, and, and make me like you? And then when it happens, when Jesus actually moves into that person's life and starts kicking out all that garbage, that person looks different and they feel different and their life is different. And their life becomes a testimony to the people around them. And they start to see this, this person's different. This person has changed. And so now, now it's up to that person to go out to the rest of the world and start saying, look, I met a man named Jesus and he changed my entire life and he can change your life too. And I want that for you. That's what we're talking about today. God is saying, I've given you human testimony and that's good enough for a court case and you only need three witnesses. I've done all I need to do, but I'm gonna go one step further. I want your testimony. I want you to go forward and tell people of the Christ that you have known, of the Christ that you know and that changes your life because there are a lot of lost people in this world and they are walking in darkness and they are dying because there's no life outside of Jesus Christ. And if that doesn't hurt us when we hear that, something is deeply wrong with you. We have to care. We have to change. We have to go be Jesus to the people around us. That's what loving people looks like. Remember earlier it said, if you don't love the children of God, then you don't love God. Do you love the children of God? Then go save the children of God. That's what we're called to do. If you want to live, love, and go like Jesus, bear witness. Bear witness to what Christ has done in your life. Your life story is good enough. That's what God is saying. That's what John's saying. He's saying, God gave you all the, all the historical facts and reasoning that you need and that's enough. But he's saying, but there's one thing greater, and that's your life. So go and live it as a living testimony of who Jesus is. That's what we're being called to. It's a super straightforward message. It's not, it's not anything hard to wrap our minds around. 
but it's so hard to do. But we're being called to it, and that's what we have to do. We have to bear witness for our Lord Jesus to the lost. Thanks for tuning in to the New Hope Church podcast. If you would do us a favor and like or subscribe on your favorite platform, we would really appreciate it. Also, if you happen to have any questions, feel free to reach out to us at questions at becomehope.com. Have a great week and know that we are praying for you as you seek to be Jesus in every corner of your world.